want to just encourage us for a few moments to just be selfish with your time. There's so many things that would, uh, would have an opportunity to draw our attention away uh, from this moment. And um, it's not often that I kind of call us all to uh, be fully attentive and present to the moment. Um, but I think tonight would be one of those moments that I, I just don't want anybody to miss out on. And if they're not here, uh, I encourage you and we will share uh, this, this message with you as our community uh, as a way to maybe help others or encourage others to come back and listen to it. Um, because I think at the end of it, there will be a great idea uh, of where we're headed as we look forward into our future together as a church. And um, I say that because we're, we're, we're entering into uh, our first year celebration together. Uh, it's kind of an exciting time. Yeah, you can cheer for that. That's worth being excited about. We will be one year old here in just a few short weeks, which is why Pastor Katie was saying, take Sabbath weekend and rest. Be intentional. Uh, it is uh, a practice that Jesus shows us throughout Scripture that he withdrew to quiet places to pray. Some translations would say a mountain. Some would say a wilderness. Either way, he withdrew to a special place that allowed for his soul to be refreshed uh, and him to spend time with his father. And so we want to present the same opportunities for you as a community to do that as well. And so in doing that, we are uh, going to set our focus on our one-year celebration. And as I was preparing uh, for this week, I, I kind of felt this tug-of-war in my spirit uh, on what to preach. And uh, to be quite honest with you, normally on Thursdays, I'm at the gym about 2 o'clock because I finish prepping and I go and just kind of work out by myself. It's open gym, and so I can marinate on the message. Well, uh, at about 11.30, I felt like the message that I had been writing uh, was going to be put on pause because there was something else that the Lord was, was stirring on the inside of me. And so this struggle became real for me on Thursday afternoon at about noon uh, between staying the course and preaching out of Matthew 7, 7 through 11, which I'm not going to do tonight. So if you're making a note, you can pause on that. That'll be next week. Uh, and I thought tonight instead I would share my heart as I've been reflecting and celebrating this past year. Some of the celebration I've been doing is with many of you as I've gotten to sit and talk and listen uh, and just hear uh, the fruit that has come out of your life. Hear what God has been doing in your life. Hear what God has been revealing and showing you what he's been stirring you to do, what, what he's provided as way of mir miracle or healing in your life. And it's, it's been such an encouragement and a humble um, experience for me over the last several weeks as this has kind of been my focus with many of you. And, and as I was thinking about this message and I was uh, thinking about these moments I've been having, this reoccurring question kept presenting itself. And it was kind of this question that kept stirring and kept stirring. And I finally just asked the Lord, like, what is the specific question that is the silver lining or the golden thread amongst all of these beautiful stories of your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your purpose for your people? And this question is simply this, what's next? Every conversation I've had, whether it be about discovering your purpose or feeling a sense of healing come over you or a stirring on the inside of you, there's been this undercurrent question welling up on the inside of me. And this morning, actually, I woke up and I just felt like the Lord whispered, what's next? I didn't even really have the title of this message until this morning. What's next? And so I want to read to you uh, this story out of the book of Mark chapter 14. Yes, we're going to move out of Matthew for just a week. Uh, and I'm going to look at a story in, a, in, in, in the Gospel of Mark. You'll find that this particular story is laced throughout all of the Gospels in various forms and formats. Matthew even has its own account. But for tonight, I thought we'd use uh, Mark's account 
for the message at hand. And so what I hope what will happen is that we'll read this story and we'll just see where the Lord takes us. And I think it's simply because this, this story has, has moved me and it's challenged me. I think it has implications of what we could become and it paints a picture of the kind of church we will be known as if we give ourselves permission to be present to this moment and maybe follow through with the series of questions that are presented to us tonight through this talk. I think it will help us to kind of come to this place where we'll recognize our opportunity as it relates to who we become as a community, as a church, as we move into this beautiful future that we have together. I'm moved by this story because it might just answer the question for all of us, what's next? It may just answer the question for us all, what's next? So, so turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Mark, chapter 14. And uh, we're going to pick up the story in verse 3, and I'm going to read to you the NIV. And it says this, while he was in Bethany, and just for the record, he is Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. Isn't that amazing? Jesus just reclining at the table. Could you just imagine like walking into a dinner party on a Saturday night to somebody's house, and there's just Jesus just like, what up, guys? Like, I don't know about you, but for some of you, you're probably like Jesus is like this prim and proper, you know, suit and tie, you know, suited and booted type dude. And here he is, you just chilling at Simon the Leper's house, just kicked back, relaxed at the table. My kind of guy. And it says, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. I'll give you uh, a little encouragement. You could underline, highlight, or circle an alabaster jar. Made of pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly, indi- that word, I literally practiced that word 17 times today. I counted because I didn't want to be a false, you know, prophet. To one another, uh, why this waste of perfume? That word is translated, just in case you're wondering, angrily or in- increasingly to one another. Why this waste of perfume, they said. It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And they rebuked her harshly. Verse 6 says, leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. I have a prop. Verse 7 says, the poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. Verse 8, he says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. In verse 9, this is such an incredible, powerful, if you allow it, life-transforming statement. Truly, I tell you, he says, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. In memory of her. Here we are today, some 2,000 years later, sharing and teaching and speaking from this very story about what this woman did for Jesus, to Jesus, and in the presence of Jesus. The question that we're asking tonight is, what's next? And I think what happens when we look at this story, if we allow ourselves to, is that there's two answers. There's two two potential answers. I I think the story poses two answers to the question, what's next? We we can see in this story that there's two types of people. There's a sideline cynic. Or an unashamed worshiper. 
And I, and I find it interesting that in the context of both of those personalities, both of those people groups, there is an object. An object that connects both answers to the question, what's next? A sideline cynic or an unashamed worshiper. And what we find in the middle is an alabaster jar. And if you just did a quick Google search, this was the closest thing to the look and feel of an alabaster jar that I could find in my home. I asked my wife if I could borrow it. She said, if you do it very carefully. Ironically, it's not waterproof, that which makes zero sense to me. But needless to say, it's a cute decoration, and I love it. And it's fitting because we're coming upon Easter. The, the story poses two answers, and it provides us an object, a sideline cynic, an unashamed worshiper, and an alabaster jar. Sounds like the beginning of a great joke. And what we find is that the cynic, or to the cynic specifically, this particular jar was only a measure by worldly standards of wealth. And as a result, the cynic judged this woman for what it could have been used for rather than who it was being used on and for what purpose it was being used for. To the worshiper, it was the most valued possession she owned. It was, it was her unashamed offering in response to worship to, to generosity, to service, and her devotion. And so this alabaster jar, by definition, it was an expensive bottle of perfume, close to, if not, an entire yearly wage. And in our particular area, that's an average of $90,000 a year. Pouring out some for my friends. That, that's, what, that's what this symbolized. It was... It was a year's salary, and, and, and some even argued it was enough to make a real difference in helping the current climate of the poor. While that wasn't their intention, it was, it was the offering that they submitted as, a, as an opportunity to reflect on what was happening. The truth is, we don't know for sure how much it was really worth and what its real value was or how much difference it really would have made. But what we do know is that this particular kind of oil or perfume were used for various different reasons. One of the reasons was to anoint guests when they came into your home. Is it a symbol of blessing upon your guests when they came to break bread with you? One of the things I've learned about New Yorkers is they, they, they have this tendency of ever, always referring to grabbing dinner together as breaking bread. Like I talked to Franz, he's like, man, we were breaking bread last week. He's like, Yo, I was hanging out with my friends the other night and we were just out here breaking bread. And I'm like, you, this guy breaks a lot of bread. He's having communion like every time he gets together with his boys. Where do I get an invitation? So every time you'd invite somebody to your home to break bread, you'd, you'd use it to anoint them. It was used as a, as a medicine to heal the sick. Huh. That's cool. Often, the third thing is that often, as we see in this case, it was used in a solemn act of devotion. That's what it was used for. A solemn act of devotion, which poses another question. I know you guys are like, oh, more questions. It poses yet another question. What does your alabaster jar represent? What does it represent? And maybe more specifically, when you pour it out or when you break it open, what flows from it? What flows from it? Is it cynicism? Judgment? Doubt? Anger? Is it greed? Is it betrayal? Maybe even envy? Like Judas, for the record, this story was 
actually more specifically about Judas. And the woman was actually Mary, who was the sister of Martha, who was also the sister of Lazarus, who was one of Jesus's closest friends. And so like, G- like Judas, did this, did this jar, does this alabaster jar, does it represent when it's broken, does it flow cynicism? Does it, does it flow judgment and doubt and anger? Does it flow greed, betrayal, for whatever the reason might be, maybe even envy? Or does it represent, like Mary, your worship? Does it represent your offering, your, your, your treasure, which we've talked about over the last several weeks? Does it represent your service to Jesus, to the body of Christ? Does it represent your solemn devotion? Does your alabaster jar represent your gift? Does it represent your talents? Does it represent your offering? Does it represent your time? Does it represent your worship or your devotion? I ask the question again, what does your alabaster jar represent? A follow-up to that question would be this. How will you use it? How will you use it? Will you use it in worship to Jesus? As an offering to him? Will you use it in service to him? Will it be your solemn devotion to him? If we just kind of took a step back at this text and we looked at verse 8 and 9 from Mark 14, we can see what happens when Mary uses her jar. If you added six, you could, you could come to this conclusion. She did a beautiful thing. Could you imagine Jesus saying of you that you did a beautiful thing? And then could you imagine Jesus coming to your defense when all the cynics and all the critics, all the haters start throwing shade your way? And he says this, she did what she could. Some of us don't even do what we can because it's not like the person next to us and what they're doing. So we don't think what we have to offer is worth anything to anybody. But what if God gave you that thing for somebody specific in your season right here, right now? What if he said the same thing to you? You just did what you could. Well done, good and faithful servant is what I hear. But I don't have what Steve has. I can't sing like that. Who cares? Neither can I. It doesn't stop me. He tries to every once in a while. I said, Pastor, you're good at a lot of things, but backup vocals is not one of them. But I, but I, don't, but I don't have what Will has. But, but I don't have what... What, what, what Franz has, that's, that's, not, that's not what we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have what we have. And we're supposed to use what we have the way that God designed us to use it. And he says this, she poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare. She knew full well how much that thing was worth. It was her most prized possession. It stood for everything she ever thought, bought, and believed in, in this one jar. And it says that she poured it out. On my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Because she knew what was about to happen. It says, truly I tell you, whatever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I I wonder if our use of our jar will be told wherever the good news is shared forevermore. Will it be told of us that we used our alabaster jar in worship as an offering 
We'll be told that we used it in service to prepare or to make a way for others to encounter Jesus. We'll be told that we used it in complete devotion to him as a, as a symbol, as, as, a, as, a, as a posture in which we are completely and utterly devoted to him and no one else and nothing else. Or as we read in verse 4 and 5, as some of those present were saying, angrily, incensed to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly for it. Or would, it be, would we be remembered as the sideline cynic, one who judges, doubts, questions, betrays, and often is angry at others for how or where they use their jar? Or maybe even worse, not think that you have anything of value to offer anyway, and so instead of asking the Lord to reveal what it is that he's gifted you or given you or blessed you with, you sit on the sideline, critical and cynical of everyone else, doing what God has called them to do. Meanwhile, you're just envy because you haven't jumped in, all in, and trusted him with it. What's really interesting to me when I read this story is that in a very worldly sense, these disciples, Judas specifically, weren't wrong. This perfume, this jar could have been used for the poor without question. Like any one of us, even now in this moment, could take what it is that we have and go, but I need to use this. I could use this. This could be best used for. I, if I decided, if I was in charge, if I was the one in, in control of the situation, then I would be the one to decide where it's used, how it's used, and when it's used. But that's not the message of the story here. Because if we take a step back and we look at the totality of what's taken place, little did they know that her offering has been, in fact, given to the poor for over 2,000 years. And as a result, the poor, which by definition is spiritually, emotionally, and physically poor, have been finding healing, restoration, and grace by it far beyond their, their wildest imagination or dreams. Could you imagine if just in a moment Judas had a picture 2,000 years later that we'd be sitting here tonight talking about this very story and how it's helped restore and heal and bring grace and truth to people's lives because a woman was willing to put God first in every area of her life and take her alabaster jar and break it at the feet of Jesus in complete worship and offering and service and devotion to him instead of sitting on the sideline being cynical. Maybe another way of putting it is like this. Will our worship send ripple effects through the history of the church pointing people to Jesus? Will our offerings send ripple effects throughout the history of the church making way for more people to come to know Jesus, will our service send a ripple effect through the body of Christ, helping each of us see how we are uniquely made to play a part in service to the body of Christ? Will our devotion to him and him alone, will it send ripple effects throughout history, making way for others to discover his purpose for their life? Will our alabaster jar play it safe on the mantle of our earthly lives? Or will it break open and be used in worship to him as a generous offering to him, as an unselfish act of service to him, as a complete devotion to him? What's next? What's next? Well, I think what's next for us in this new season 
is that it's high tide that we start breaking the alabaster jar of our life at the foot of the cross. I think it's time for us to take stock of what he's blessed us with and ask ourselves, are we using it in worship? Are we using it in offering? Are we using it in service? Are we using it in devotion to him? Are we just holding on to it a little longer because we're not quite sure if it really makes sense yet? Are we a little cynical because maybe ours doesn't look like Elise's or it doesn't look like Sally's or it doesn't look like Shane's, but yet even still we're being stirred in this season to ask the question whether we're we're bold and courageous in asking it, or we're doing it in the corner going, Lord, what's next? Or we're out here in the front, Lord, Lord, what's next? Is it possible that what's next is you and I being willing and courageous like Mary to take our alabaster jar, which represents our gift, our time, our talent, our treasure, our entire life, and break it at the foot of Jesus and trust him with it and say it doesn't matter what it's worth in the worldly sense. We know that it has eternal value that will go beyond our wildest imaginations and generation upon generation upon generation may just say of a crazy group of people in the North Atlanta area that they were willing to go all in on Jesus and they were willing to set their hearts on fire and break the alabaster jar at the foot of Jesus and say I love you with all my heart with all my soul and with all my strength and I want to serve you I want to give my life to you I want my gifts to be of service to you and I want to be completely devoted for you because I don't want anyone to miss out on what I've experienced. I don't want anyone who is riding this thing called life alongside of me in this season, in this era, in this decade to miss out on the promises of God, the goodness of God, the healing power of our Father, the grace and the love that's found in Jesus. What's next? It's time to break the alabaster jar of our life. That's what he has blessed us with. If he's blessed us with something, if he's given us a gift, if he's revealed a gift to us, it is not for us to hoard or to hide for ourselves, but we are to offer it in complete surrender to him. I so desperately want to shatter this on the floor. But I'm not. There's a couple moments. I saw Katie go, please don't do that. <laughs> Bang! What's that? What, what culture is that? Where they just like break plates? Greek. I just want to... Dun, 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 dun. Bang! Yeah, that. What if, what if I told you that on the other side of our worship, on the other side of our generosity, on the other side of our service, on the other side of our devotion to Jesus is the story of redemption for that one person you've been praying all year long for? It's been kind of this under, under, uh, underswelling theme for us. Like, who's the one? Who's that one person this year that God's put on your heart, he's put in your life? Who's the friend, the family member, the coworker that God's placed in your path for you to share your good news? What if I told you that on the other side of our worship, on the other side of our generosity, on the other side of our service, our devotion to Jesus is the story of redemption for that one person? What if I told you that on the other side of our sacrifice was the grace that might have the power to save that very person. The truth is, is we are on the other side of Mary's sacrifice. We are on the other side of Mary's devotion, her worship, her, her generosity, her service. And as a result, we're here today telling the good news about what Mary's done. What if it is on the other side of this moment that somebody shares the good news of what you've done, of the sacrifice you made? of the unashamed worship that you displayed before the Lord? What if I told you that on the other side 
What if I told you on the other side with someone who is sick and is looking for a healer? Who is broken and looking for a place of restoration? Who is lost and is looking for a way home? What if I told you that maybe, just maybe, by us breaking or pouring out the jars of our life, that those people might just find what they're looking for? What if I told you? What if I told you how you use your alabaster jar from this day forth could be the difference between sickness and healing? Brokenness and restoration. I'm driving a point here. Lost and found. What if I told you, and dare I say, that that if you and I were to use our alabaster jar from this day forth in such a way that it could be the difference between death and eternal life for somebody? Somebody you know and maybe somebody you'll never meet. That is, in fact, how this worked. That's how this works. This woman who, who knew Jesus personally and knew Jesus eternally played a part through her worship, through her offering, through her service and devotion to ensure his plan for generations of sick, broken, and lost people would find their way home, would find their way into a full and abundant life with no one else but Jesus. So what does your alabaster jar represent? Does it represent your gift, your talents, your offering, your treasure? Does it represent your time and your worship? Does it represent your devotion? What if tonight we took a bold step and we decided that we were going to break open our alabaster jar at the feet of Jesus? What if we made a decision tonight that we were going to commit our lives in worship and in generosity, in service or devotion to him? Are you willing to throw caution to the wind and not worry about the sideline cynic anymore? Worry about what others might think or say, what the world says or or, or might say about you, and just let go and trust God. So many times that line has been saying, let go and let God. I think that's true, but I think there's a letting go and actually trusting God. It's one thing to say, I, I want to let go and let God. It's another thing to say, I'm letting go, and I'm going to trust you, Lord. Tonight, I'm going to put my trust in you. Here's the truth. God wants your whole life, not just bits and pieces of it. It's not a Reese's Pieces cup. He wants the whole thing. Oddly enough, even his own disciples didn't see that from time to time, which tells me that that maybe we might not either. But I think it's moments like this where we get a chance to take a look in the mirror or climb up the mountain to see just how far we have come and ask him wholeheartedly, Lord, what's next? And I think this is what you're going to hear him say. What do you see? What do you see? Because there's moments where we're invited to the mountaintop out of the valley and given a beautiful opportunity to take a look back and, and then take a look forward. And he'll ask you, what do you see? And if I was being honest, I think that's been the context of my, my, my devotion to him over the last several weeks as we've been coming back and reacclimating after a month off. And I feel like the Lord has just been asking me, what do you see? And what's been beautiful is that he's taken me on this journey of helping me to see for the last few years the prayers that we've been praying the tears that we've been crying, the moments of joy and celebration that we've had, of people who were once sick are now finding healing, of people who were once lost now finding a sense of purpose, of people who didn't know who Jesus were being reoriented around who the person of Jesus is, of people who were once feeling like they didn't have any value or purpose or worth finding a sense of value, purpose, and worth. And I can tell 
as I spent about three hours going through my journals from 2018 up until yesterday that I can share with you with intimate intention that all of those tears and all of those prayers are beginning to come to pass. What I've been seeing is a people that are starting to believe who Jesus is for themselves and know him personally and discover that he has a purpose for their life. And what it shows me is if we'd be faithful to continue on the journey of breaking our alabaster jar and not holding anything back for ourselves, but putting it all on the line and saying, here I am, Lord, use me. Here's my worship. Here's my devotion. Here's my offering. Here's my service. What he'll do with it is something I've never imagined possible he would build a church with it fire alarms and all he'll build a church with it well people will gather around on Sunday in prayer and fellowship and coffee and break bread where people will gather on a Monday afternoon or a Wednesday night just to come around the word and laugh and cry and celebrate one another well people will show up on a Monday night because they want to be reoriented around who the person of Jesus is and then every day in between people will show up for your children and for your family and for your kids and for your neighbors and anyone else in between just because we want them to know Jesus like we know Jesus and discover his purpose like we've discovered his purpose so that his church, in fact, would and could be built. That's what I see. That's what I see. So let me ask you again, church. What does your alabaster jar represent? What does it represent? I can tell you from, from me over the course of years, it's, it's represented a lot of things. Is represented years of shame and guilt. Is represented disappointment and discouragement. Is represented fear and anxiety. It's represented the, this feeling of an inadequacy and not being good enough. It's represented all kinds of things. And I'm sharing these things with you. Literally, I've gone through 2018 to today. All the things I've written that I've always felt. And yet every time I was willing to just admit them and pour them out, Lord, the Lord was so gracious and kind to replace all of those things with his grace and his love and his kindness and his mercy. And I think for some of us, that might be the case here tonight, that, that maybe your alabaster jar does represent your cynicism. It represents your brokenness. It represents your anger. It represents your envy. It, re rep it represents your judgment. And that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's, that's okay. We're not all called to be Marys. Some of us actually maybe, just maybe, relate more to the Judases of the world. And that's okay. But here's the thing. Jesus still loved him the same. Jesus still offered him the same cup of salvation and the same bread of life. And the difference between you and him is whether or not you recognize the opportunity that's before you to pour out that shame and that guilt and that disappointment and replace it with his love, his kindness, his mercy. For some of us, we've come into this place with that very truth that we were once upon a time dealing with a great deal of shame. We were broken. We were sick, and we didn't even know it until we got into the presence of God, and we humbled ourselves before the Lord, and we got around community that started speaking life over us and elevating our faith and encouraging us to be the best versions of ourselves. And when we didn't feel like it, they kept holding our hand, and they kept, it's like your friend that gets drunk. You hold their hair when they're throwing up. You just keep showing up every time for them, every time for them, every time for them. That's kind of like what we are sometimes for the local the local community. We just keep showing up for people. We'll just keep holding their hand. We'll keep pointing them to Jesus. We'll keep helping them see Jesus. 
Jesus. We'll keep healing and praying and believing that they will encounter Jesus. That's okay. But at some point, there is a day when you replace your alabaster jar of shame and you replace it with an alabaster jar of purpose. You replace it with worship. You replace it with generosity. You replace it with gifts. You replace it with your time and your talent. And you say, Lord, I know somebody showed up for me in my time of need. And now is the time for me to break my alabaster jar at your feet and recognize that this is a season you're calling me to step into and offer my worship, offer my generosity, offer my service, offer my devotion to you so that you can use my life the way you've purposed it so you can build your church. What does your alabaster jar represent? I want to encourage you before I ask you to stand. As Pastor Katie said, we're going to have an altar moment here. And I want to encourage you just to, to give yourself permission to just hang out for a few more moments. On your seat is an envelope. I want to ask you to just take a moment and ask yourself the question, what does your alabaster jar represent? Some of you might actually be putting your offering on there. That's great. We want you to do that. That's awesome. That's super helpful. But maybe it is your commitment to offer your treasure in service to the Lord. Maybe it's your worship. Maybe you're here on a Sunday night or you're here on a Wednesday night or you're here on a Monday afternoon at discipleship group or you're, you're Alpha and you're like, man, I, there's this thing on the inside of me that just wants to like break out and like sing. And I don't even think I'm a good singer. But we don't, we don't, he's not looking for good singers. He's looking for true worshipers. So maybe tonight you're saying, that's me. I want to I offer my alabaster jar of worship to you, Lord. Maybe it's your, your, you've been blessed financially. You're like, I want my, my, my finances to be a blessing to you so you can continue to build your church. I want, I want to offer my alabaster jar of generosity to you, Lord. Maybe you have a gift, a talent. You think, well, it's not like Steve's, and it's not like Sally's, and not like Will's, it's not like Shane's. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be. It's your gift. Like, I know for a fact there's three people on the front row. They're like, could we exchange our gift of administration for anything else? But if that's your gift, use it and offer it to the Lord and see what he would do with it. He'll take you on the craziest, wildest ride of your life. My wife, who finally admitted that she had the gift of administration, has now been on the adventure of a lifetime simply because she married me. And also because the Lord called us to go on the craziest journey together we could ever imagine, hope, or think. Because I just offered it to the Lord. Maybe it's your complete devotion. Maybe you haven't gone all in on him. You've been a little reluctant. What is that? I'm, sa- I'm stalling a little bit because I, I know that there are a lot of you that are processors and thinkers, and that's okay. I like those people. I like decision makers too. People are like, oh, I already know. As soon as you open your mouth, I already knew what I need to write down. It's already been written. I didn't know what we were doing. I just wrote something because I knew something was coming. If you need to go back and scratch it out and change it, that's fine too. Or add, like plus, what does your alabaster jar represent? Tonight I ask, You Once again, is it time for you to break them at the feet of Jesus and offer them to him in worship and generosity and service? Is it time that you no longer sit on the sidelines of cynicism, judging others for what they are bringing to Jesus in worship and offering and service and devotion, and you get in on what's happening? And you go, God, I I I want to willingly give you my jar in worship and generosity, and service, and devotion because of what you've done for me. 
I want to break my jar at your feet. Because I want to see the one that I've been praying for come to know you like I know you. I want to see my family healed. I want to see my neighbor come to know you. I want to, I want to see my boss. Lord, I want to see my boss know you. I want to see that person at Publix that I interact with every day that just looks hopeless and desperate for a miracle. I want them to experience that miracle. So tonight I'm offering you my worship, my generosity. I'm offering you my, my service and my devotion. As your pastor and as your friend, I'm asking you to ask the Lord and in yourself, what's next for my life? That will be the answer to the alabaster jar. What does it represent for you?